Welcome to podcast number 99 of My Favorite Detective Stories. Today's date is May 5th, 2020, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. My guest today is Bill Vincent. Bill is a former police officer from Elgin, Illinois, and is an NCAA college umpire. He's a licensed private investigator and owns an investigations company in Chicago. He has over 30 years' experience in the private sector specializing in litigation, fraud, surveillance, asset discovery, background intelligence, due diligence, and location of witnesses and defendants. He's been the lead investigator in numerous multi-million dollar verdict cases and a two-time recipient of the National Association of Legal Investigators Director Award. He's a life member. He's made numerous presentations to the investigative and legal societies in regards to matters dealing with the use of investigators in litigation. He's appeared in several episodes of a national Emmy award-winning television show detailing the workings of a private investigator. It is my pleasure to introduce my mentor, my colleague, and my friend, Bill Vincent, to the show. We are quickly approaching a milestone for any podcast. Not many podcasts make it to 100 episodes. I've enjoyed myself immensely talking with old friends and new acquaintances. But here's the thing. I needed to speak to two separate audiences and to end the confusion. I've decided to focus on talking with private investigators about surviving and thriving in business. That podcast will be titled, How to Rocket Your Private Investigation Business. Occasionally, we will feature a guest who will talk about their careers and keep us in rapture with their detective stories. On alternating weeks, we are taking my favorite detective stories to new heights with crime writers like Joseph Wambaugh and Michael Carita, to name a few. We will dissect their favorite characters and pay homage to the writers that were influential in their careers. I'd like to take a minute to say thank you for listening and for your wonderful comments and support. Let's shoot for another 100 episodes and beyond. Welcome to My Favorite Detective Stories. My Favorite Detective Stories features successful private investigators. They offer insights into their careers and advice to those just starting out or to those who are struggling. You will learn from the best. Of course, we cannot finish the show without asking them to share their favorite detective story. On alternating weeks, you will hear from crime fiction writers who discuss their latest books and what makes their fictional detectives tick. Throughout my investigative career spanning five decades, I cannot think of a time that I didn't have a good crime novel on my coffee table or bedstand. We will also talk about their favorite authors as well. As a working investigator, coach, and writer, I hope to bring inspiration, information, and entertainment in the areas that interest me most. Gather around my campfire as I invite you to listen in. This episode is brought to you by my recently published books for private investigators. How to launch your private investigation business. How to market your private investigation business. And how to boost your private investigation business. They also appear as a three-book set in How to Rocket Your Private Investigation Business, the complete series. All can be found at your favorite online retailers in ebook or softcover. Did you know that I also coach private investigators how to survive and thrive in business? Visit my website at www.thepicoach.com. That is thepicoach.com. 
Bill.com to learn more. Hi, Bill. Welcome to the show. Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic today. It's a blustery cold day down here in southern Connecticut. How about out there in Chicagoland? All right. Let's have a contest, see who's colder. <laughs> uh, how, how cold are you? Uh, 29 degrees, but it's a, it's a uh, cold 29 degrees. <laughs> oh my God. Minus, minus one regular and minus 15 with the wind chill here today, which is really ironic because we've had a really awesome w- winter so far. January was the all time high record. And we have the, uh, NBA all-star game in town this weekend that they're going to play Sunday, but everybody's in now for the three point contest and the dunk contest and all the parties. And all these people are coming from like warm weather areas <laughs> in the Chicago thinking it's like this all the time, but it's just a blip in the radar. It's going to be warmer tomorrow, but it's mm. pretty cold today. Well, yeah, it makes Chicago the city that it is. Right. And, uh, you couldn't have a, uh, a temperature in Chicago without it being the windy city and having a wind chill. So that's for sure. So, Anyway, uh, I'm so glad to have you on the uh, on the podcast. It's just great to have you. Uh, I've always thought about our times over the years where we met at different conferences, and I, I, I want to go back to one of the earliest ones where uh, we were at a uh, Ion conference in Phoenix, and uh, it was there that uh, uh, you give you gave me some advice, and it was advice that uh, I didn't take quite away, quite right away. But I learned that uh, shortly thereafter that it was uh, advice well worth taking, and I did employ it. And, and I have to credit you for that, that I had to diversify my uh, product mix. I had to go after different uh, clients because I just couldn't have all my eggs in one basket, that being uh, the insurance industry. You remember that way back when? I do. I think that was on my middle school field trip when I ran into you, and uh, we had that conversation, correct? <laughs> yes, that's right. Right. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, at the, oh, so I was, I would say, maybe four years into my business at the time, maybe three. So it was like 2000 and uh, 2001, possibly. No, it couldn't have been 2001. It had to be either 99 or 2000. And by that time, you had already been established in uh, Chicago. So if you want to talk about how you got started and, and what your uh, journey has been, I'd love to hear it. Uh, sure. So I actually um, started right when I was in college. So, you know, I was uh, I come out of a family of law en- city law enforcement with Chicago PD, and my dad was a lieutenant and a watch commander in one of the high active districts on the south side of Chicago. Okay. And so um, I was in that sort of Vietnam War era time and uh, when law enforcement and military was not uh, thought of that highly mm-hmm. um, in our country and and, and, and certainly in, in the Chicago area. So, but I had a family, like several uncles. My aunt was one of the first undercover policewomen in Chicago. And, you know, my dad, so, you know, I was always interested in criminal justice. And so I, uh, and, and baseball. So I went away to school to play baseball mm-hmm. and uh, major in criminal justice. And then just uh, kind of fell into a situation where at that time the government offered a program called the LEAP program, which is a law enforcement education program because they wanted people to move into uh, law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, got involved in that program, which was 
really fantastic because it paid your books, your tuition. Uh, the first year I even had a car and apartment that was picked up because they really – but what you did in that program was you committed. So for each year of uh, grant, I guess would be the best word, through the program, um, you committed to a year of service. So if you did four or five years in law enforcement um, capacity, your, your tuition and education would be forgiven. So I took advantage of that. And went into law. So I started out in law enforcement and then uh, worked as a city police officer uh, initially. And um, I kind of fell into the private detective situation through that. Um, Once again, it was more of timing that created opportunities rather than I creating those opportunities. Of course, I recognized them and took advantage of them, and I was in a position to do so. So it all kind of sort of fell in place. Mm. Um, you know, timing is so important, whether it be, you know, in anything in life. If you're if you're ready uh, and the timing's good, uh, you can be successful. So it's sort of that old adage of um, hard work equals. Uh, opportunity, timing, and location, and it just kind of fell in place for me. Well, you say it fell in place, but, you know, I, I think that you're, you're, you were probably a thinking man's cop, and uh, you also brought some uh, attention to detail as to how you wanted your business to run, and you didn't want it to be just a uh, hobby. You wanted to make it into something that you could grow, and uh, I think you did. Uh, so, can you want to talk about that a little bit about the mindset of uh, getting started and creating a business, as opposed to maybe being a solo? Sure. So, um, back when I first started out, you know, I was in law enforcement, and uh, I started out where I was got involved with two other detectives, and um, we became. I can remember sitting down at a kitchen table in my apartment back then. I was like 23 or 24 years old, mm. and the capital we each threw in 333 dollars and incorporated and started this company. Um, and the two of them immediately within they were quite a bit older than me too. Within the first six months, uh, one got offered an opportunity to uh, uh, work for as an employee of an insurance company, well, both of us were asked to, I opted not to, I didn't want to be an employee. And the other person was more or less a silent partner and, uh, eventually moved. So within the first two years I was, I was it. Mm. Um, by necessity. Yeah, sort of by necessity. And so what happened was I was, when we initially started it, I was working as a police officer and then I, I worked, uh, I got a call from an attorney um, who actually had I had testified in court with a number of times. I wouldn't say against because that doesn't present the right picture, mm-hmm. but he was a defense attorney and I was obviously the prosecution witness as right. a police officer, uh, especially in, nar- in narcotics. I was working some narcotics back then. And uh, at some point he uh, contacted me through channels and asked to meet with me. I wasn't sure what it was about. I was a little hesitant at first, but I did meet with him, and he actually wanted me to do some work uh, for his law firm. And it would all be non-criminal work because I was still a police officer, so it would be in the civil area Mm -hmm. of 
you know, things that I do every day now, um, personal injury, traffic collision, reconstruction, locating people and assets, sort of the bread and butter of our industry in right. many ways. Um, so I really started with their law firm and was doing things and then working also uh, as a police officer. And within, I would say within six months of that, he came to me with several other attorneys on a high-profile criminal case in Chicago that was in the front pages of all the papers and it would have been a conflict of interest for me to do both so um, sort of this was the timing and but I was in a good position because I didn't have a ton of responsibilities and I was younger so I didn't have mortgage and mm -hmm. kids and all those things that mm -hmm. sometimes make those difficult decisions mm -hmm. uh, impossible but I decided to uh, for lack of a better word take a leave and see if and do this case and uh so i did and i just never went back i decided this was this was the perfect thing for me because it gave me that i i really enjoyed the law enforcement and i liked that part of it but i was thinking of maybe going to law school but i didn't want to be sitting behind a desk doing contracts and wills so i kind of fell in the best of both worlds i was out in the action and on the street and driving and working nights and at the same time I was involved with the, the law element of it through attorneys I worked for mm -hmm. and uh, I was able sort of really to determine my own destiny so um, I found it really uh, all of a sudden I kept thinking well I'm going to get a legitimate job someday but now that 40 years have gone by I guess this has been my legitimate job that's amazing no it's a great story and it's a beautiful story I, I I thought about it when you talked about going to school for uh, criminal justice and baseball I uh, I was at some point when I was in high school I had dreams of being a professional ball player and then uh, I my first year of American Legion ball I realized that guys were throwing faster curveballs than I had seen uh, fastballs Right. So here I was standing at the plate watching a ball come at my head, but yet go across the outside part of the plate. And of course, at that point, I was bailed out of the batter's box. <laughs> and I said, you know, maybe it's time. Maybe I ought to think of wearing a different uniform. So uh, I came home one day and said, told my father, I said, yeah, my dreams of being a professional baseball player are over. And uh, I have to think about a, uh, a real career. And uh, I'd like to be in uh, law enforcement. So I. Uh, and I did. And so I, I joked that, you know, I just had to trade uniforms. But uh, so I, it's just interesting that you, you talk about that, you know. And well, it reminds me of the old saying with the kid goes away to minor league baseball the first year and calls his mom up within three days. And she says, well, how's it going, son? He goes, mom, he says, well, mom, put some water in the soup. They're throwing curveballs. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a perfect saying. And uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, if uh, I, I didn't have all the attitude and all the drama of the movie uh, Trouble with the Curve by uh, uh, Clint Eastwood, but I certainly had trouble with the curve. And when I saw that, that there was no way I was going to hit that ball, uh, I knew that I had to make a, a life choice, and I did. Oh, but anyway, so well, you're always just an injury away, too. You know, there's right. the other one where the, you know, and I think this relates to business too in many ways. Um, and working on your craft and whether it's in a sport or when we're younger, it's sports that we're often, especially, uh, uh, people, seems like people who go into this industry are usually a lot of times sports oriented or have some facet with something, some other type of, 
uh, hobby or interest mm-hmm. outside of maybe the investigative. But right. um, you know, there's a the story of the kid that's drafted and he meets the old crusty professional baseball coach and the coach says to him you know young man when you were in high school you struck out eight of every nine batters you faced and the kid was like really and he goes yeah and then you went to college and you struck out eight of nine batters you faced he goes it's pretty remarkable and the kid goes yeah i didn't really realize that and the coach looks at him says the only problem those one guys that you didn't strike out they're all here (laughs) (laughs) oh i love that. yeah so it's just it's just a reminder of you know something to think about as you start to move into a field in advance that you really have to continue to you know stay educated and really practice mm. um your craft and if you want to be really good at it, I think you have to have a passion for it oh that's true um to allow you to do both the continuing education and the updating and you know and while our business has changed a ton since I can remember them wheeling in a, um, a monitor. It took three guys to wheel in a monitor that was green and black when they first went to computers mm-hmm. to where we're at now. Um, still, a lot of the things that were important then are important now. Oh, sure. Uh, and uh, and field craft is, is no less important then than it was today. Uh, how to talk to people, how to gather information, how to uh, assess a case and be able to uh, execute an investigative objective, all those things, you know, the field craft part of it is important. But the thing about it, too, is that right from the get-go, you knew that you had to uh, uh, create a business, that you had to uh, have uh, keep the lights on, that this wasn't a, you weren't relying on a pension. Uh, you didn't have a, um, uh, a source of income outside of uh, yourself. And if you wanted to uh, eat at a restaurant next week, you had to get that bill paid this week. So does that make, am I, am I on the right uh, vein with that? Uh, absolutely. But one of the things that made it, you know, and easier for me at the time was, you know, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities that mm-hmm. uh, created that kind of situation where um, I could go a few days without food, but you know, I didn't have little, <laughs> little kids that couldn't. So that right. made it better. But then on the same time, you know, if you leave law enforcement and you go into this business, you often have um, a pension or other income coming right. in too, so it makes you a little bit easier. But yeah, you have to make a decision at some point. Um, you're out or you're all in. Mm-hmm. So I, I was, uh, when I met you at uh, the ION conference uh, put on by a, a gentleman that was a visionary at the time, Leroy Cook, uh, uh, you had had an established business in Greater Chicago, uh, I believe at that time several employees or more, and you had been spread across uh, several different you know uh, pro- uh, business segments. Me, I was a one-trick pony doing just just insurance fraud investigation work, and you saw that as coming up. You saw that coming in. You saw that as being a place where you could make some money, but you didn't put all your eggs in that basket knowing that as business cycles go, something could happen there. And in the next day, you could be uh, wondering what the hell happened with the insurance business. And if I'm not mistaken, that's exactly what happened like uh, 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 1999, 2000. 
And you, you had almost, uh, I want to say, foreseen that happening based upon other business cycles that you had seen. So do you mind commenting on that a little bit, if you don't mind? No, not at all. One of the things that in, in my memory of how that our conversation went, I remember coming over and I guess meeting and talking to you and um, and, I, and I could be wrong on this, but you seemed almost a little, as we talked, a, a little despondent, um, for lack of a better word, because of the sector of business you were in. And I remember thinking that, you know, I've been there. I remember that. And one of the things that when you're just in one sector of the business, and especially the insurance sector, mm-hmm. um, it can go from really good and busy and profitable to really bad because one of the things about the insurance industry area of investigative it's it's contract well one of the things for me personally was it's a contractual investigation which sometimes to me got really boring so mm. i mean it was by the contract and you followed the contract so that was one problem so it didn't allow for me personally creativity and some of the other things that I find really interesting about this job, even to this day. Um, the second thing I would comment on that was that industry or sector of the industry is often ruled by minimizing expenses and dollars. So, you know, that I found that depressing, too, because oftentimes, you know, I would have a feel on a case or no on a case that there was something I wanted to do but didn't want to put the dollars into doing it, which I think sometimes personally would have saved them in the long run. The other thing was the competition was fierce, so there was a push down on pricing, mm-hmm. um, which also made things difficult. So um, when we talked, um, you know, the experience I had was that having a four or five different sectors of the business um, allowed you to either move to other areas or one would be a profit center while the other isn't or allows you to recognize like sort of trending or things that are coming up that uh, we really need to take notice of. And I still try to do that to this day. Well, um, your memory is spot on. Uh, Despondent is a very good word. I I would say that uh, the nationals that went to the highest levels of uh, the claims departments, the claim VPs in Allstate and State Farm and all those other locations, they they were eating my lunch. And I had uh, nine people on payroll, and I still had to pay payroll, and 55% of my business dried up within 60 days. So, yeah, I was uh, a hurting puppy. I had come from insurance fraud investigation background. I had been an SIU investigator, SIU manager. I had even been a claims manager. So talk about a one-trick pony. You know, I had had all my eggs in that one basket, and all of a sudden, here I am wondering what the hell just hit me, and that's when uh, you were talking about it at the conference, and I said, okay, this is a man I have to listen to. This is how I have to start changing my business and uh, didn't learn it right away. And that's the way I think a lot of us uh, prideful and stubborn people are. (laughs) But um, as I watched uh, my uh, people slowly leave uh, and as I watched my income slowly dwindle, I realized that if I had to learn other things, I had to do other things. Otherwise, I wouldn't have uh, been able to survive. So, uh, and that's what I did, but I did it, you know, a lot based upon the sense that you, you know, had made at that day. 
and you had talked about it as being at, at insurance work being uh, one part of it. And and the thing is, I after I had a chance to leave uh, working almost exclusively for the insurance industry, Bill, I I got to see exactly what you're talking about today. That um, number one, uh, it was contractual, and that uh, every case was just another one on the assembly line, and that uh, at some point. Uh, the insurance industry representatives, many of them, uh, didn't want artists to paint beautiful pictures, but they wanted house painters. Now, I'm not being mean. I mean, there's there's people that are great house painters that wouldn't know how, what to do with a canvas, and there are other people that are could work with a canvas that wouldn't know how to do a side of a house. So I'm just saying it's just a different mindset. It's a different way of looking at it. And uh, I just was not a house painter. So I had to leave, and I had to go make my way as a generalist, finding those uh, different niches niches that you were talking about. And uh, so, uh, but that was the beginning of me learning how to be in business, as opposed to me just transferring my skill sets from what I knew in the insurance business to owning my own job. And you follow what my thought was on that? about? Absolutely. That little story you said reminds me often of something that, couple of things that were passed on to me or I learned along the way and especially the artist situation which I see a lot of investigators are sort of in that format so one of the things that I did was first let me say that I think it's important that when you start a business or you're in a business that you think about who you are and what you like to do and what you don't like to do and what you're good at and what you're not good at and what you're passionate about. And if you can do something that you're passionate about and put macaroni and cheese on the table, that macaroni and cheese is going to taste like steak. Mm -hmm. And if you do something you don't like every day where you can put steak on the table, well, I actually like macaroni and cheese, but that steak's (laughs) not going to taste so good because – you're you're unhappy mm-hmm. and uh you know we all need to make a living we all have bills to pay, but we have to have that passion in something we do and it's great if it can be an occupational passion because that takes up so much of our time but if not we have to find some other area that you know brings us happiness mm-hmm. um, and, and brings us a meaning to life um one of the other things i often thought about um when i was sort of structuring and building business was not only a what do I personally like to do, but what's going to give me income. So I set up the business in my head and then sort of on paper in some different areas of focus. And and I often use the the mechanic versus the artist or the technician versus the artist. And so some of our business segment is more mechanical or rote in nature, but profitable. Mm-hmm. And it takes a short learning curve for somebody to do that, but they have to do it well. So let me just, could I talk about some different quadrants of the business? That, oh, yeah. Well, one would be um, process serving. Mm-hmm. So serving court papers um, is a, it does a number of great things, I think, for a business if that's what you want to do and you want to have employees. Because serving papers is something that needs to be done. It moves litigation along in the court. You usually do it on behalf of attorneys. Um, So you have a section of your business that if you want to retire someday, that is often saleable. 
because somebody can come in and buy that. It's already a, an ongoing process. It's sort of factory oriented in a sense um, that you can just push on. Where if you sell your business and it's you, the investigator, and you're really good at doing that, well, if you're not there, there's nothing to sell. Right. And that's where the artist part is. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's important if you're building a business that you have sections of your business that are mechanical or tech or rote or technical in nature so that that's the part that's saleable. Mm -hmm. Um, You is not saleable because if you want to retire or get out of the business, you're gone and your skill set won't be there any longer. Mm -hmm. The nice thing about process serving too is not only does it, you know, it gives people jobs, which I've always found is like, it might be my spiritual gift, you know, in a way I was able to provide incomes to families and I, you know, I took pride in that and as our business grew, especially when I was younger and that's what I was focused on, you know, I really liked that I could provide a job for people to do and process serving often was a real way for somebody into the business, learn a lot of different factors of the business and then decide this isn't for them or I can move into another area. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and process serving also brings other business. It's like an attorney that does personal injury. I always think if that attorney has associates or partners that do DUIs, criminal defense, traffic violations, those are your personal injury clients later on down the road. So yep. providing that full service seems like process serving. So you have a process serving, which could be pretty standard. I walk up to the door, I give him a paper. We have like a UPS guy here. And when he came for the job, I knew him through baseball, umpiring baseball. And he came here for the job. And I said to him, he's former UPS. He asked me what the job's really like. And I said, well, it's exactly like the UPS, only they don't want the package. So, <laughs> and then he's been here like four or five years now, and he really likes it. But he's really found that, you know, it's not liking the package can create some problems. But then it's all about he's an umpire, a high level college umpire, but then it's all about game management. So, you know, we talk about when you go to the door and you deliver that package, you're going to get a you from that person. Mm-hmm. And we want the thank to be in front of it rather mm-hmm. than the opposite. Yeah, yeah, it's all yeah, about yeah. sort of handling that at yeah. the door and thinking on your feet and what we call here is sort of game management. Um, but the process serving brings along other business too. So now you're in with the law firm and they have other things that need to be done. And process serving, if they're not there, can then turn into a skip trace. And then you find an address, but they don't want to be served. Then it turns into a surveillance, and it's mm-hmm. by the hour. So it can be a it can be a, a significant money maker. Yeah, and the uh, term that I know from retailing is it could be a loss leader. I mean, you can still make money on it, but what you're doing it for is you're doing it to bring the customers into the other uh, services that you can provide, and it does make sense to do that. Um, it's funny that you brought up the UPS guy because a long time ago. Um, I, I knew of a private investigator that bought the, uh, brown, about as brown, a UPS kind of, uh, uniform that he could wear with a brown hat. He looked like, just like a UPS guy. And he would, he would do door knocks with subpoenas in his pocket and people would look out the window and think it was the UPS guy. (laughs) So it was kind of interesting. He wasn't misrepresenting himself. He was just dressed that way that day, you know? Um, I know exactly. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I think it's, you know, and that's one of the things that's happening in the world right now. And we have to be really thoughtful 
and flexible and inventive on how we adapt our business today's current climate and that's you know when you have uh, doorbell video doorbell that you don't even press the button but as soon as you walk up so maybe to become more invisible you become more visible mm-hmm. but those are things you have to adapt to as society changes and technology changes so um, which is another thing I want to comment on a little bit that I think right um, that I recognized early. You sure did. And and uh, I think what was really helpful for my company, and that was information begets information. So the more information that your client gets, the more information your client wants. So a lot of investigators sometimes look at the internet and the availability of information as their competitor. To do that, I think, short-term-wise, you might say, yeah, and for, but you really, it's not going away, so you have to embrace it and accept it and see how you can use that to increase your business or do better at your business. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, going back in time, um, when things weren't online and you had to actually go to the courthouses and you had to actually look things up, right. Um, Provided again, a whole nother book of business that's been great for us has been, you know, on background checks and information. Yeah, you can go online and you can often see something, but you often need the source documents to make an effective decision. And clients don't want to stand in long lines or go to courthouses or park or all those kind of things, especially if things aren't imaged or things are not available because of time situations. So, you know, part of our business is providing those documents so our clients can make a, an effective decision. And once again, it's another part of the business that's actually going to be saleable um, should one want to retire. Right. Um, because you can have paralegal or clerk-oriented people help you with that work. Now, not, they have to be intelligent because they have to know what they're looking for mm-hmm. and they have to know the documents that might be important for one side or the other. Um, but, you know, that again is, is, is a part of the business that's saleable because it's not dependent on you. Right. No, uh, you, you raise a very good point uh, about that. And I think that uh, at one time you got so much ahead of it, you actually had like an in-house librarian, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And uh, that uh, helped you uh, grow your uh, what we now call, um, you know, uh, Internet searches or uh, backgrounds or or that type of thing. And it really, you know, you were way ahead of the game on that. And it really, I think, worked out good. And you were able to package a nice uh, service to uh, your clients around the um around you know not only chicagoland but now around the country you were you were developing a national footprint and you continue to go to uh, uh conferences and now uh, investigators from around the country would know that anything that they needed to do in uh chicagoland who would they talk to who would they call you right yeah. and so that's another thing i want to come and i think it's really important for Younger, probably the best word, or investigators coming up, newer investigators, um, that things have changed so much the way we communicate. Um, I can go back to when I would meet my clients at the country club for lunch, um, and then it would be a fax, and then it would be a phone call, 
and then it would be an email. And now I actually get some assignments even by text. So, I mean, it's changed <laughs> yeah. in, a, in, a, in a big degree. And, but one of the things that I think is still important is that face-to-face communication. So going to conferences and meeting somebody face-to-face um, and getting to know them and not via an electronic or digital communication is really important, especially the kind of work that we do because oftentimes we have to do the work face-to-face. So we have to do the door knocks. We have to do the interviews. They're not phone call oriented because the attorneys not only want to know what the person has to say, but how they say it, how they present. Um, are they fabricating? Are they embellishing in any manner? And often you can only do that face-to-face. Right, so I think the same thing is when we go going to the conferences, not only being educated, but it it's important that you go face-to-face and meet the other investigators because it not only tells you who you want to give work to, but it tells you who you don't want to give work to. Yes, very much so. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that when I go to a conference and I'm hearing new and exciting ideas coming from different uh, investigators after they just do a, a meeting breakout or after they, they see a session that I've been in and I hear some great ideas, and I'm hearing about uh, there's a liveliness there. But when maybe later on that evening, I might be talking to some other persons in the hospitality room and I'm hearing the same story that I heard not only last year, but five years ago and 10 years ago. And I know that that person isn't growing, changing it or doing anything. I know that maybe there's somebody else in that uh, neck of the woods that I need to have in my uh, bailiwick or to, to, that I need to have on my side. So, yeah, it's real. It's a really true truism there that you know you get to know both the good and well maybe the not so good uh the, the, maybe the good and the people that were good but maybe uh, are living uh, resting on their laurels you know I, I i think as we were talking a little bit here and you were talking about different verticals um not only did you give me great advice but there came a time once when i was doing a domestic surveillance and literally followed um the subject on an airplane from Westchester County Airport in uh, outside of uh, New York City uh, to O'Hara, and I handed off the uh, the subject to two of your investigators, who then stayed on the subject for the entire weekend and got video of the subject uh, canoodling with uh, the uh, the friend, and this was something that the uh, spouse had been concerned about, and it was confirmed, but. Here you are, you know, your guys are picking up somebody uh, from the uh, short-term parking lot of Chicago O'Hara <laughs> uh, uh, Airport, and we're able to stay on that person for three days. I mean, that was just amazing. That's, that's great surveillance work, and you had the people on board to do that. I don't know if you recall that case, Bill, but um, I always thought it was a great one that um, it started on an airplane in Westchester, uh, County, New York, and it ended up uh, along the, what do they call that, the Gold Coast, Michigan Avenue? Uh, yeah, Miracle Mile. Miracle Mile, that's right. And then another time, on a totally different type of case, I, I asked you, your people, to find a, um, uh, a subject uh, who was an heir to an estate. I don't know if you remember this. And the only piece of information I had was his... Um, either a family member that bailed him out on a minor offense and I just had the bail ticket or no, you found the bail ticket 
and was able to, through the bail ticket, talk to the guy that bailed him out and then were able to find the guy and then talk to the uh, missing heir about uh, him being an heir to an estate. So two totally different kinds of cases, right? Um, requiring totally different skill sets, but your law, uh, your firm was able to handle both and without a problem. And you wouldn't have accepted either one had you not had the ability or the people that had the skill sets to be able to do that. So um, you certainly were servicing, um, I call it Chicagoland for lack of a better word, but with a, a cadre of well-trained and, and uh, the right people for the right jobs. And that's something that day in and day out will give you and your company a, uh, a, uh, a brand and will give you brand recognition and will give you a uh, referrals. I mean, I don't know how much marketing you have to do, but I, I would have to say a lot of it's word of mouth based. Wouldn't you say, Bill? Uh, almost all of it now at this point. Of course, that some of that comes from with, you know, being around for so long. But that's another thing about going to the conferences and interacting with uh, your contemporaries is another thing I recognized that was really an easy marketing job was other investigators. Mm -hmm. So, because I didn't have to, I didn't really have to sell you on what I do. You already know what I do because you do right. what I do. I only had to sell you on me. Right. So 25% of our work is really from other investigators who need something done in the Chicago metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. and, you know, fortunately, it's such a large area that there's a lot of work and there's a lot of issues that come up. And the other thing that is really great about our area is um, oh, just by its the very nature of its size and and its complexities and knowing people in certain areas and knowing the court systems and knowing people at the airport and knowing be, being in the hotel association meetings and working in different – networking in different security associations, you know, knowing all those things allows you to have contacts with people um, in a variety of industries that might come into play on an, of an investigative nature. So – um, I, I, it, it was an easy sell to sell to other investigators because all I was really selling was, was I good at what I do? Was I proficient and communicative? And I'm in Chicago. Mm. So, yeah. But you also raised a good point there about, uh, hotel associations, security associations, different kinds of networking going on there. A lot of people, I hate to say it, um, they get very comfortable with their handful of clients. And then if something, you know, goes where uh, this client uh, retires, this client abruptly dies, uh, somebody moves to Florida, now they're scratching their you-know-what and they're wondering where their next uh, case is going to come from. What kind of um, prospecting have they done just by simply putting themselves out there to other associations and learning what other people do and seeing how their skill sets might align with those other uh, groups' needs? I mean, right there, that just those is five two minutes that you spent there would be a, a, a wonderful um, a course on how do, you, how do you get out of your own comfort zone? How do you find other people that um, you can do things for them, they can do things for you, and one plus one equals three? I mean, I know that's not the right math, but you know what I mean by the synergy of that, that happening. And uh, I think a lot of people just don't, just don't understand it. They stay in their own little silo. Uh, they do what they need to do just to keep the lights on and, and don't go, go mo much past that. But there's a whole bunch of opportunity out there if you only are open to it, if you only listen. 
And I think uh, what you're talking about is is spot on. I mean, really. I and I and I feel like I should be doing more of it myself. <laughs> well, I think you do a disservice to your client um, if you're if you're not out there uh, associating and making contacts and um, being educated and learning from other people who might be important to you in a case down the road that. Uh, you're really not part of being an investigator is just not that case you are, but just by the word investigating that you're out not investigating sources and contacts and people in other industries that might be important on the case you might have tomorrow that you don't know. Um, we have an association here in Chicago that um, is involved with all sort of genres of in, quote investigative security organizations. So we have people that are go to dinners once a month and they're either active or former FBI, CIA, postal inspectors, Chicago PD, DEA, firearms. Mm -hmm. So these people we meet once a month, nine months a year, and we have a little educational and it's intimate and we have you know, you have your educational format, which you'll have a speaker for a half hour, but a lot of what you learn is when you're sitting in your breaking bread at the table and mm -hmm. you have people from security of Amazon, people from security of UPS, so in your, your hotel people. So, I mean, everybody has a common source and that's like their investigative or protection or something, but people from all different areas and, and just by going to that, you know, once a month meeting can be invaluable down the road. So I think investigators really need to, you know, if they're behind the computer all the time, that's great, but they're doing their client a disservice if they're not out there uh, doing face-to-face -face and getting involved in those kind of things. Oh, that's great advice. It really truly is. And anybody listening to this podcast, if there's a, an association like that in your bailiwick, by all means, get out there you know, block that time off on your calendar, make that a reality and watch that thing grow for you. Uh, I often think about um, a, a single lawyer uh, law firm uh, has a Christmas party and I get invited to every year. And I just have that as like a, a marketing genogram where I went to that, um, I go to that uh, holiday party every single year and the business cards that I get out of that one single party, which leads me to lawyers X, Y, and Z. And then if I do the work for lawyers X, Y, and Z, they introduce me later on to lawyers one, two, and three. And uh, then those lawyers introduce me to lawyers uh, black, blue, and red. And before you know it, I've got this growing pyramid of, of referrals all stemming from the fact that I on the, the second uh, Thursday of December, I go to one single Christmas party, and from that has spawned, what, uh, hundreds and hundreds of assignments over the years. But if I decide to stay home that night and watch, you know, my favorite uh, basketball team on, on TV, I'm not, I'm not uh, getting out of my comfort zone. I'm not doing anything to forward my business prospects. And here it is. I mean, what was it for me? I had to go I got I got invited to a Christmas party and I said yes <laughs> you know so I, I offer that as an example but that's that's like a, a little bit I guess uh, along the lines of what you're saying but not necessarily as proactive I mean 
I, I hear what you're saying, and I think it's an excellent idea that the more associations and the more varied uh, things that you go through where people are in similar disciplines as you, you not only learn from them, but you are the go-to guy that they will go to when they need what you do. Do I got that right? Exactly. Yeah. And one of the other thing I really would say is not only do um, – when when you do those contacts and you ask some questions of what they did, like postal inspector, a long time ago, I had no idea that, A, there were postal inspectors, even though I was in law enforcement, and B, what do they really do? Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, I've come to learn that they're one of the best investigative resources that's out there, and former mm-hmm. postal inspectors have a wealth of information and a wealth of investigative concepts that they can... Right. Pass on to us and show us a whole different world that we've never, we didn't even realize was going on. And I mean, I can't say enough about those guys and girls that do that job and oh, then yeah. go into the private sector. But one of the things too that I think is important is, is if you gather that information, is how do you how do you keep it and how do you have it so when you need, so that's one of the things about technologies that great. A long time ago, I wrote an article about. Um, sort of a memory type program that's not even they don't even use anymore but then something new came up and I was able to transfer all that information from that more archaic program into a current program that I use it's all keyword oriented and I have lots of things and it's right on my cell phone so I can just pop in a keyword and boom things will come up that'll either remind me or allow me to you know follow up with that contact and how I met them and even people on the street that I serve court papers to, if I talk to them for a few minutes, and I really like to talk to them and find out why they're getting a court paper, what's involved, because it'll be interesting, the information they might have, and then I'll put their name in this little system, and somewhere down the line, I may be able to uh, make a call and get some information I'm looking for. That's um, an amazing tip, Bill. Honestly, a relational database by person's name and keyword search several different items that uh, could trigger it and bring that information right back to the forefront again instead of like my aging brain that says well i I think i remember this guy that did this but uh uh," and before you know it i'm on to the next thing and i i totally lost it but you have you have taken the time to create for yourself your own uh, searchable database um of uh of uh, resources, for lack of a better word. Am right, because one of the things I really enjoy about is the, you know, the little bit of the technical or the computer situation. Now, I can't build a computer, but my computer guy says that I can break one because um, <laughs> he goes, you find these programs and you try everything out, but it's really of an interest to me. I mean, I, I'm sort of an information junkie, so I like to read. Mm-hmm. I like to listen to... You know, I'm in the car a ton, so I like to listen to podcasts or audible books. And so once I get an idea, I mean, I just I want to be able to take that with me. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and I was like, I'm just going to listen to well, not a podcast. I'm sorry, an audio book. And I'm like, I'm just going to listen to this. But then I listen to it. I'm like, no, I'm not listening to it anymore because I actually need the book because I actually got to get some uh, stuff out of it to put in the program that I use Mm -hmm. um, as a a sort of a memory tool. And this program, I mean, is, I think, phenomenal. And I love reading articles about, like, the top 10 
uh, apps that came out this year Mm -hmm. or the top, you know, top 10 investigative apps, which I think is great, you know, those type of things, because Mm -hmm. there's just a ton of things out there that really help us in our job. But you can't put anything into that memory application um, unless you get out there and talk to people who have information to go in there. So I think that's super important. When you're serving court papers and you serve a business over and over again and you walk in there and you don't know the name of the person you served and you served them two weeks ago, I mean, you need to put their name in your system so you can talk to them and say their first name and know a little bit about them. You know, if they have some kids or the kids in college or something, I usually put and I'll ask about it. Um, and it's not fake. I really do care, but it's hard to remember when you come in contact with so many people. And that can open so many doors for you if you need to do something within that law firm if they're the registered agent or that company that you're in. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got a, I served UPS and I served this lady. Oh, now I got a theft of some packages using a UPS and I can have a contact. She may be able to supply you somebody to talk to in security or give you a name. So. Mm-hmm. Something really small can turn into something really big. Now, is that a program proprietary built or something that you developed? Or uh, I, I mean, no, it's it's a program that's easy. I mean, I can say that yeah. I use Evernote, which I think. Oh yeah, is, Evernote, sure. But is, is but it gives you it gives you OCR recognition. It gives you a keyword search. Sure. Wow. Yeah, you just search through Evernote, and there's a program that ties right into it called Scannable. And so what Scannable does is you can just hold your phone over a document and it'll automatically format it and everything, put it into a PDF, and then you can just drop it right into Evernote. So, you know, if we're in court and I need documents um, copied or I need a criminal case and I need a copy, um, I can just go put the, put it in Scannable, put my phone over the document and it automatically puts it in there. And it'll put like up to 10, you know, as many pages as you have can drop it right in Evernote with it, with keyword to find it, like mm. the case number or the defendant's name or something like that. So I love the technology and all those things, but they're only tools to do what we fundamentally did before, whether you wrote it down in a book or however you track of things. Post-it notes, it just keeps things super organized for you. Yeah, unfortunately, I think a lot of people don't do any of that. And then they're constantly reinventing the wheel, which is sort of... Well, I don't know. Redundant, but we won't go there. I just think that anybody listening to the podcast that has an opportunity to start building their own uh, memory database, you know, they ought to start tomorrow. I mean, really, Evernote and Scannable and just start playing with it. Break it a few times. Do what you have to do. But believe me, five years from now, ten years from now, you're going to say that you have a gold mine on your uh, on your smartphone. And, sure, uh, because you know it's not. You don't have to be experts at any of these programs. No, and you don't have to be an expert at investing. I mean, the real key is the action. You just have to do it. I mean, there are mm-hmm. so many people that talk to you about what they want to do or what they're going to do. I mean, just do it. Right. I mean, you might do it poorly, but you'll get better at it if you keep doing it. So it's really all about the action. It's not about the preparation. It's not about oh, how am I going to load it or mm-hmm. just go. If whether it's a program or whether it's a job or I can remember when I got a case from an attorney who then became a judge and he called up and asked me if I could do a dram shop case for him. And I said, sure, yeah, no problem. And he goes, well, come to my office in a couple of days and we'll go through the reports. And I, John, did not know what a dram shop case was. Mm-hmm. 
So I went to liquor the law liability, library. but hey, <laughs> right. Yeah. I went to the law library. I looked up dram shop and I'm like, okay, I need three elements to show on a dram shop. So when I went in and sat down with him, I knew the three elements that need proved in order to have a dram shop liability. So, I mean, I said, yes, I didn't know what I was doing, but, you know, I took the action and then the action forced me to do more things. And then uh, you do a little bit of work and uh, you can become proficient at it. But it's it's all about taking that step. Yeah. And, and not necessarily taking that step and it leading to the next step. Sometimes you take a step and you do a face plant, but the important thing is getting up again and, and moving forward. And I'm sure there were times, you know, through your career that you, you took steps in certain directions that, you know, looked like it was the right steps at the right time. But then later on, upon uh, reflection, you said, nah, not really. But there were still learning things from that. You still learned. And you still learned uh, a lot of things that you could then add to, you know, maybe re-stepping uh, in different directions or reconnoitering yourself to where you could find a different path. But, you know, certainly... Uh, it's just not being a one-trick t- pony. It's not just taking your only skills that you bring to the to the uh, to the job to start with, and never growing those skills. If I'm taking away anything from this conversation with you, Bill, it's that starting your own PI business isn't about uh, resting on your laurels and telling people how great you were when you were X, Y, and Z, or when you were a cop here or an FBI agent there. It's about what you've done and continue to do, what your body of work is through your business as a private investigator and how you're continuing to grow because you know the next client is going to ask you something that uh, had you not grown your skill sets over those 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you wouldn't have been able to answer them. But because you did, you'd be able to do that. Now, I'm sure that uh, not only do you know how to do a dram shop case, but you know how to train your people on how to do them with those elements and they, and they're proficient at it and they do a satisfactory job for your clients. So. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But in, a, in one of the mantras we have here in our business is again, because we come out of the baseball world is that, uh, you know, you're only as good as your last pitch. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, yeah, I've been doing this a long time and yeah, I've had success and yeah, I've done cases that have been really successful sometime based on the case in spite of me. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're really only as good as your last pitch. So I'm only as good as the last job I did for that client. Yeah, I mean, true. and if that, if that job didn't come out well, maybe because of me or maybe because of the circumstances, I need to rectify that somehow. So it keeps you humble and you can't go back to, Oh, I did this great case in 2005. I mean, I'm only as good as my last pitch. Some people are only going to remember that fastball down the middle that the guy hit for the grand slam and you <laughs> lost the game. So, you know, you got to have a short memory and you yeah. just got to go, yeah, okay, I own it. And when I'm That's going it. back out there and I'm going to throw another fastball and see if you can hit this one. Well, and I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, there's been times when uh, the mighty Casey has struck out a few times. And I, I can honestly say that there's been times when I've missed something blindingly obvious. And it was like, holy crap, how could I miss that? And then beat myself up for two reasons. One, I didn't see it. And number two, I let down a client or I let down a friend, you know, and I didn't do it right. So for me, I know what you're saying, that you, uh, you want to just do the best you can and dust yourself up, get back up again and try to and try to get up back and concentrate on the next pitch. You're right. So well, Bill, one of the things you'll hear from clients, though, and one of the things that 
investigators do that I think is difficult for them, um, especially if they're really out there working hard to do a really good job and making money sort of secondary because that'll, if you do a good job, that'll sort of, that'll come along. But it's, it's, it's often easy in this job and other jobs to do that 2020. And I do it to myself, like on a local, and I will work really hard to look somebody and I'll take all these different steps and really involve things. And, mm-hmm. and you'll look back and go, man, if I would have just done this, I could have got there like right away. But you don't know that part of the process is that right. journey. And you can always go back and say, well, I should have done this. But you don't know that as you're doing it oftentimes. Mm, no. So no, and you know, being, that just comes with the territory. No, you're being a student of best practices. And that's important. And a lot of people don't. And I think that's important that people learn from uh, consistently uh, performing at a high level. And that when something doesn't quote quite right, yeah, do the autopsy on the case. Don't beat yourself up over it, but just learn by it and make it and make it a good learning that you go for, farther with. The other thing that you said was really important, that there's some people that chase the money and they'll squeeze that client for every dollar they can on a job. And, you know, maybe they make some money doing that, but was it really the best thing for the client? What if they had concentrated all that energy on spending their time on creating the best uh, investigation for that client. You know, what, what, what gives you more return on the investment, the short term, um, squeezing the client for a little bit more money or the long term value of that client for not only doing a great job, but having that client brag about you to their friends, you know, and now you're getting word of mouth referrals. Whereas if you just squeeze that client for that little extra money, they might not use you again and they might, and they'll certainly not tell anybody uh, about your services. So it's a mindset issue. I think that you're absolutely right on that, you know, do the right thing by the client and the money will follow it as opposed to squeezing the dollars out of the client. And then just thinking you're going to go through a, you're just going to keep churning clients because that gets old real quick. And like you said earlier, um, churning clients is, um, it might be steak, uh, but it doesn't taste very good, at least in my mind or my taste buds, it doesn't, but doing a great job for a client, and knowing that I did the fa- fantastic job, that 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 uh, mac and cheese will turn taste like a steak to me because I know that the intrinsic value of the work that I did was a good investigation, well done, you know. So well, one of the things too that I think from a sales standpoint that I did, I recognized early, and I would pass along, um, and I still do it to this day. Is so when I was 24 and I started the company. Uh, None of very few of those clients that were the really powerful litigation attorneys are around anymore doing trials. Mm-hmm. I can remember one attorney who has long since passed and was notorious for taking everything to trial um, from the defense side, called me in and heard about me and called me into a meeting in his library. And I was sitting there, I was probably like 25 years old, and he came in and he looked at me and goes, I really thought your dad would be here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but, but his son became a client of mine and I uh, worked for him for a number of years. But one of the things when I worked for the firms that I would pay attention to. And, uh, Bill, be, and Bill, that, yes. son, that Bill, son now says to you, 
I, I wish your son was here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm but, sorry. Um, I just had a cut. That's in. okay. Hey, it's all right. I don't mind if I mock myself. I don't really need you doing that. <laughs> but um, that was but a one joke, of the things, Bill. That was a joke. All right. That was a joke. One of the, one of the things that I, I, I guess I want to get across on a serious nature that worked well for me was this. I saw young attorneys that would go off on their own and they would have a, uh, a personal injury case from the plaintiff, which is the main work I like to do mm -hmm. um, is the plaintiff work because it's like me and the attorney against the world or that's yep. the way I always approach it. And it's like a brick wall and you got a little hammer and you just keep chipping and mm -hmm. eventually the wall falls. But I noticed with the young attorneys, and they would want to use an investigator, but, you know, on these plaintiff cases, they're fronting all the expenses themselves. Yeah. So they're fronting tons of costs. So you have to be in a position to either have money or be able to have access to money to finance your cases. So one of the things I did with the attorneys that I looked at that were young, and I, this guy or this girl is going to be a success. Mm -hmm. And I would often tell them, like, hey, I'm doing the investigation I'm taking care of this. I'm just doing it. You know, don't worry about paying me like within 30 days or whatever, the, you know, the 60 days. Um, you can't take a percentage of the case because oh, no. it, it's, it ruins your objectivity. But you don't have to get paid right away. You could turn in your bill and just go, hey, you know what? Pay me when the case settles. And uh, if the case doesn't settle or there's a problem or you lose the case, don't worry about it. We'll go on to the next one. And you know what? They became clients for for life because they remembered now that now they're in their 40s or their 50s and they're powerful attorneys and they remember like, hey, you know, that guy, mm -hmm. his firm helped me do a case and I didn't have to worry about the money initially and, you know, was able to take care of it later when the case settled. Yep. And I remember my banker for the same reason. I When I first started the company, I couldn't get a loan. And uh, a lawyer introduced me to a banker, and I played racquetball with him, and he gave me 5000 for my business on a handshake when no one else would. And I stayed with that bank for 35 years until he retired. So mm -hmm. that same kind of philosophy, it's something to think about when you deal with whatever your business is, when you're dealing with young attorneys or uh, young claims people in the insurance is establish a relationship with them because oh, they're yeah. going to move forward and on. And it could be a lifetime relationship. Yeah, so and, uh, it's not about short money. It's about long money right. and also long relationships. Right. And again, uh, some people whose only focus is on the short money will just take the short money and will demand in 30 days or 60 days and they pound on that lawyer's uh, head. And that's what the lawyer remembers is getting pounded on the head for, you know, a, a 30 or 60 day uh, aged receivable. On the other hand, by floating them that, you know, I want to use the word loan, but it is a loan in a sense, until uh, the case settles. Now they got the money to pay you, but what else? They're going to call you the next time and the next time and the next time. And they're going to refer you to their friends. And you're going to have a light, like you said, a lifetime client, a, a, a $1,500, $2,000 case that you sit on for, you know, a year, 18 months could turn into a $50,000 investment, you know, and if you're a good judge of uh, talent, and if you think this person's going to be a real go-getter going forward, that's worth, that's a worthwhile investment. And I don't think a lot of uh, investigators see it that way. They just say, you know, here's my work, pay me, you know, it's just, uh, you know, that's, uh, I, I've installed the doors in your house and <laughs> the job's done, now right. pay me. You know, so 
Bill, any other words for uh, my listeners? I, I think this was fantastic. I know I, I spent a little time with a couple of my stories, but they only illustrated what you were talking about. I really just loved hearing you just um, talk to me again. I, I loved uh, being there and listening to what you have to say. I don't know why I haven't done it earlier, quite frankly. So, Well, I would say just a few things. And one of the, th- you know, just in kind of closing out is um, share information with your other investigators and your clients. Um, you could be a resource and it doesn't always require a payment for that. It's like we love to have our clients call us and just say, hey, we are jack of all trades. If you have a question or an issue, if you can't figure it out or you don't know where to go, call us and we'll see what we could do. We may know somebody to put you in touch with. And it's not necessarily a monetary, a monetary thing. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily an investigative thing, but it's like we want to be first on your speed dial when you have an issue comes up that you're not sure where to go. Right. So, you know, be that resource. And I would also say, you know, just be really kind and understanding when you're out doing something, you know, especially, and once again, I refer to this because I come out of the law enforcement world, that sort of chip on your shoulder and Mm -hmm. that whole attitude, you know, a lot of people, yeah, there's a lot of different words for it. I mean, I love my brothers in law enforcement. I'm still involved in our memorial areas and that kind of thing. But, you know, and some of it's brought about by the the daily job and the daily grind they I know, do that I know and you know so I'm understanding on that too but I mean I really want our people and I think just to be kind and try to be understanding of the person that if you're serving a paper to you know try to get that thank you from them I'll stand there sometimes for 10 minutes and I'm just working on that thank you because it's good for me to try to do that to because they're often mad at the situation and they're frustrated with what's going on in their life and you're there and they're not really frustrated and you can't personalize it and, and, and escalate it into something. You're really there to de-escalate. So right. I think just, just having that kind attitude and approach um, goes a long way because they'll recognize that. And let's face it, how many times have you had to go back and talk to that same person again the next time? Right. Right. So, yeah, when you're in doing court papers, you know, you serve a five day notice, then you serve an eviction, then you serve an order of possession. So, um, you know, I had that today, uh, serve surveillance this morning. I had already served the five day notice and they did not want to open the door. So I sat for three hours today Mm -hmm. and he came out to his car and, uh, you know, he was pleasant because. I was pleasant to him when I served it the first time and was understanding of the situation. It was a business thing and it was monetary and, you know, there's frustration on their end. But, you know, he took the paper with his court date and he was really nice about it. And I think it all had to do with, you know, that first approach went well. And sometimes you just need to stand there and let them vent. You know, sometimes people have to vent and you have to stand there and... You know, always keep an eye on their hands, but just stand there and let them vent. <laughs> yeah, um, focus. Oh, and that, I think that's the uh, baseball umpire and you coming out a little bit too, you know? Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of similarities, you know, when you yep. umpire base college baseball games and, you know, just, there's just a lot of high intensity and you can't personalize it. You, nope. You're the professional and we're in this job. We're the professional. So where there's higher expectations of us and we just need to remember that. Yep. So, Bill, how can people get in touch with you if they want to uh, get more information about what you do and where you do it and how you do it? 
So we're we're in Chicago, Illinois. So um, our practice all stems right in the Chicago metropolitan area. So our website's pichicago.com. P like private, I like investigator, chicago.com. And we have offices downtown in one of the western suburbs. So um, our company name used to be VTS Investigations for about 35 years. And then we changed it to Blue 22 uh, about five or six years ago. And uh, so it's our agency is Blue 22, and we're a licensed agency here in uh, Illinois. Perfect. Well, I thank you so much for coming on today, and uh, we'll just chat a little bit more after I turn off the recorder, okay? Yeah, and I'd like to just encourage people to look into, you know, depending on the type of work they do, associations like NALI, which is a National Association mm-hmm. of Legal Investigators, and there's other associations depending on the, the genre of work that you might specialize in. Absolutely. Thanks, John. You're welcome, Bill. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments at the website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. My guest next week is Adam Platinga. Adam holds a BA in English with a second major in criminology law studies from Marquette University. He has written 13 nonfiction articles on various aspects of police work for a literary magazine, The Crescent. His first book, 400 Things Cops Know was nominated for the Agatha Award and won the 2015 Silver Falcon Award for Best Nonfiction Crime Reference. It is hailed as truly excellent by author Lee Child and deemed the new Bible for crime writers by the Wall Street Journal. He followed up with Police Craft, What Police Know About Community and Crime and Violence. It is a thought-provoking and revelatory examination of policing in America. Platinga was a Milwaukee police officer from 2001 to 2008. He's currently a sergeant with the San Francisco Police Department assigned to street patrol. He lives in the Bay Area with his wife and daughters. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear other great detective stories, please go to the website and click on our podcast page. There you'll find the backlist. Now, you're probably asking, John, what about your own stories? Do you have any? Sure enough, I do. And they are available to you free as a download right to your inbox. I have eight short stories and eight vignettes in a book titled Mugshots, my favorite detective stories. Now, here's my ask. If you were either informed, inspired, or entertained by stories today, don't be bashful. Share this link with your friends. Better still, go to the iTunes website and leave a review. It's the best way to grow the circle around our campfire. If you have any questions, please contact me through the website, www.johnhoda.com, J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Thanks so much and have a great day.